Welcome to episode 28 of Make Me Watch It, the podcast where you, the listener, have the opportunity to tell me which of my unwatched movies I'm going to watch next. This month we are looking at Aquaman, released on December 21st, 2018, as part of the DC movie universe. It's something I just plain didn't get around to when it was out in theaters. It came out very close to Christmas. Our time and movie-going opportunities were limited, and we chose to spend that time with Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse instead. Having seen both, I stand by that decision, because Spider-Verse was amazing. Not to mention spectacular. Anyway. So Aquaman spins out of the Justice League universe. It's part of the DCEU, as mentioned. So this is the same Jason Momoa playing the same Aquaman that had a glorified cameo in Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice and was a major part of the team in Justice League. Now, the film was directed by James Wan, who is best known as a horror director. His directorial debut was Stygian. He then wrote and directed Saw, Dead Silence, Death Sentence, Insidious, The Conjuring, Insidious, Chapter 2, Furious 7, Conjuring 2, an episode of MacGyver, and then after Aquaman, his next listed credit on the IMDb is Aquaman 2. Now, the film stars a lot of people who would be well-known to superhero movies and fans of those movies. Again, Jason Momoa is playing this role for the third time. He was also Conan in the reboot Conan the Barbarian. He was Ronan Dex on Stargate Atlantis and played Khal Drogo on Game of Thrones for 10 episodes. Amber Heard plays Mera, the love interest. She's also known for The Rum Diary, Machete Kills, and Three Days to Kill. 48 acting credits to her name. She's reprising the role that she played in Justice League. Now, Willem Dafoe may be better known to superhero film fans as Norman Osborn, a.k.a. the Green Goblin, in the Sam Raimi, Tobey Maguire Spider-Man films. He's got 128 credits to his name, including Grand Budapest Hotel, Shadow of the Vampire, Antichrist. His resume is not short, and he is very well known. Now, Patrick Wilson, who plays Orm, the Ocean Master, and Aquaman's brother, also played Dan Dryberg or Night Owl in Watchmen, as well as a part in Insidious and Hard Candy, and he was Raoul in the 2004 Phantom of the Opera. He's got 53 acting credits to his name. Now playing Atlanta, Aquaman's mother, we have Nicole Kidman. 84 credits to her name, IMDb, says she's probably best known for Moulin Rouge, The Hours, Cold Mountain, and The Others. Superhero fans may also remember her as Dr. Chase Meridian in Batman Forever. Dolph Lundgren plays King Nereus. Now, some people might know him as the street preacher from Johnny Mnemonic, as Ivan Drago from both Rocky IV and Creed II. He also had roles in The Expendables. Superhero fans may know him as the original Punisher from the direct-to-video adaptation from 1989. He also played He-Man in the 1987 adaptation of The Masters of the Universe. Yahya Abdul-Mateen II, 
plays Black Manta. He only has two also known fours, or better known fours. There's this and the Get Down. He's got 14 credits to his name, including Cal Abraham on the Watchmen TV series, and you know, one quick role in Baywatch, another in The Greatest Showman. So his career is getting off the ground, but he played this part the way it needed to be played. Now, Tamara Morrison plays Tom Curry, Aquaman's father, at the suggestion of Jason Momoa, who really wanted to work with him. He's one of his acting idols. Science fiction fans may know Morrison for playing Jango Fett, Commander Cody, and Boba Fett in Star Wars from the prequel trilogies forward. Superhero film fans may recognize him as Aubin Sewer from the Ryan Reynolds Green Lantern film. According to the IMDb, he's also known for Once Were Warriors from 1994. Now, Michael Beach, who played Black Manta's father, Jesse, also has several credits to his name, including Third Watch, Soul Food, and If Beale Street Could Talk. Again, he might be better known to superhero fans because he actually voiced Devil Ray, another name for Black Manta, on the Justice League cartoons. Now, Randall Park is Dr. Stephen Shin, one of the few people who actually believes that Atlantis is a real place. He's mostly a talking head on TV. He also played Agent Jimmy Woo in Ant-Man and the Wasp, also known for roles in Fresh Off the Boat and Veep. He's got 144 credits to his name. Gray McTavish plays King Atlan. He was also Lewis in the 2008 Rambo and Dwaylin in the Hobbit films. He may be known to some of us as the voice of Dracula in the Castlevania Netflix series. And he's the saint of killers and preacher for those who are fans of the comic book adaptations. In addition, he played Loki in Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes. Now, the voice of the Brine King was provided by John Rice Davies. He was both Gimli and the voice of Treebeard in the Lord of the Rings movies. He was Sala in the Indiana Jones movies, as well as Professor Arcturus in Sliders. And for the superhero adaptation fans, he was also the Kingpin in Trial of the Incredible Hulk, the made-for-TV movie with Bill Bixby as David Banner that also featured Daredevil. He's got no shortage of credits to his name. 261 credits on the IMDb, in fact. Now, possibly the most notable star is the voice of Carathin, the creature that Aquaman faces near the end of the movie. She's voiced by Julie Andrews, who's best known for playing Maria in The Sound of Music and Mary Poppins in that film, as well as Victoria Grant in Victor Victoria, Queen Clarice Rinaldi in The Princess Diaries, 47 acting credits to her name. And finally for the cast, King Riku was voiced by Jimon Honsu, who is a member of the Marvel Cinematic Universe playing Korath in Guardians of the Galaxy and now Captain Marvel. He also played the wizard in Shazam. So he's definitely making the rounds in the superhero films these days. Also known for Blood Diamond, Gladiator, and In America, with 57 acting credits to his name. So Aquaman was created in the comics by Mort Weisinger and Paul Norris. James Wan, Jeff Johns, and Will Bial worked on the story. Jeff Johns is a major person at DC Comics, who also wrote the Aquaman series in 2011. 
that came out of the new 52. And the screenplay was written by Will Bial and David Leslie Johnson McGoldrick. Now, Bial has six writing credits to his name, Castle, Gangster Squad, Training Day, Aquaman, and a couple more that are in production. While David Leslie Johnson McGoldrick has a few more. He's got 13 credits to his name, Orphan, Red Riding Hood, Wrath of the Titans, Mob City, The Conjuring 2, She's Here, Aquaman, several episodes of The Walking Dead, and coming up, Conjuring 3, Reboot of Nightmare on Elm Street, another Dungeons and Dragons adaptation, Aquaman 2, and an adaptation or remake of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. So neither of them have terribly lengthy IMDb credit lists, but they're very respectable. Uh, Watching it, I also want to call out Don Burgess as the cinematographer. Even though a lot of the environments were CGI, they did set it up to really catch a feeling of majesty in this. Now, he was also cinematographer in Forrest Gump, Castaway, Contact, and The Conjuring 2. He's got 57 cinematography credits to his name. He was even nominated for the Academy Award for Cinematography for Forrest Gump. And he was nominated but hasn't won cinematography awards for Contact, Castaway, The Conjuring 2, and more. So really, what is the concept here? Well, it borrows from the New 52 reboot of the comic book character, establishing his corner of the DC universe that Justice League is a part of. The plot is also inspired by the four-issue Aquaman miniseries from the 80s, where Orm becomes Ocean Master and tries to attack the surface people, including faking an attack by the surface people on Atlantis and the underground kingdoms. Sorry, underwater kingdoms. So Aquaman, who wants nothing to do with any of this and does not want to be a king, finds himself forced to step up because not doing so means Orm's plans continue and That would be terrible for everyone on the planet, whether they live on land or in water. So visually, it's a nice stylistic movie. The plot depends on a few coincidences and contrivances, like Willem Dafoe's character is supposed to train Aquaman and prepare him for a certain trial by combat, and he gives him a little refresher on fighting, but when Aquaman shows up at the fight, he has no idea what to expect. He doesn't know what the Ring of Fire is, doesn't know the rules of the combat. It just makes it look like Willem Dafoe did a terrible job. And there's numerous examples of that. So a lot of things that make for very stylistic and action-packed scenes just don't work that well if you stop and think about how they got to that point in the script. It means consistently somebody should have told another character something that they knew, but didn't, because that would make the movie more exciting. Now, the film was nominated for a lot of minor awards, the Costume Designers Guild Awards for Excellence in Sci-Fi or Fantasy Films, the Gay and Lesbian Entertainment Critics Association nominated it for Campy Flick of the Year, Golden Derby Awards nominated the Visual Effects, Golden Schmo Awards, Nominated it for Best Action, Best Special Effects, Best TNA for Amber Heard, Best Trailer, and Coolest Character of the Year. The Hollywood Makeup Artist and Hairstylist Guild nominated them for Best Special Effects with Makeup. Kids' Choice Awards had some nominations. So there's a lot of nominations, mostly on the production side. Very few wins. From a box office perspective, 
it's got an estimated budget between 160 to 200 million. Warner Brothers didn't release the exact number. Now remember, to be considered profitable, movies have to bring in two to three times their budget. So we're looking at 320 million on the low end or 600 million on the high end, depending on how they're counting it and tabulating it. The domestic gross was just over 335 million. So it's unlikely that it would have made a profit based solely on U.S. theatrical releases. But the foreign box office was over 812 million. So the worldwide box office was 1.1 billion. It is the third highest grossing movie of all time that's set underwater, behind Finding Nemo and Finding Dory. It's the sixth highest grossing superhero origin movie and the 17th highest grossing superhero film. And 30th highest grossing 3D film. So when you look at the complete numbers around the world and what it's probably starting to bring in now on home video, what it may still bring in at the box office, I know Box Office Mojo officially lists the close date as April 4th, but apparently there is still at least one theater in my area that's running it. So it may have shifted to second run now that it's out on home video. But it does look like it eventually made a profit. Now, there's not really some strong messages, morals, or meanings aside from the fact that, yeah, you need to respect your neighbors, understand what you're doing. There's a bit of an ecological message, but that's really just the impetus that gets the thing going. It's the excuse that Orm uses to start a war. It's not the real reason for the war. So it's less about how to treat the environment and more about being careful who you vote in as a leader. Anyway, that's about all we have to say about Aquaman. Join us again for the next couple of months for the last two episodes of Make Me Watch It. Again, episode 30 will be the final episode of this podcast, so I can focus on other projects and do them well. Thank you for listening.